One of the reasons why I wanted to begin our study of the book of Luke in the summer was so that when we came to passages like this in Luke 2, that we could study them apart from the craziness of uh, the Christmas holidays. Look, all of us do our very best in the month of December to try to make sure that Jesus is always the reason for the season. But let's be honest, it's hard to do because of all the different distractions. There are so many times that we get distracted with all of the family get-togethers, all the parties, all the food that needs to be prepared, the gifts that need to be bought and and dispensed. Um, The truth is, if we were going to at least attempt to be honest, we would say it's hard for us to be focused on God and even see God in passages like Luke chapter 2 because many of us are just too focused upon ourselves. And so one of my prayers for this study has been for us to be able to see God more clearly than we usually do when studying these passages in the month of December around Christmas time. And, and I hope and I pray that that's been the case so far because this is actually the third uh, message that I preached in the book of Luke or in, the chapter, in chapter two of Luke. And uh, so far we've seen several aspects of God, characteristics. We've seen that he, we've seen the sovereignty of God, which means that as crazy as things may seem around us, that God is forever in control. Very comforting. We, we also saw that, that the humility of God, and we saw that in Christ, that he, he had every reason in the world to boast, but instead of boasting, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And today we want to see yet another characteristic of God, and that is the mercy of God. So just like the last couple of weeks, just a one-point sermon, and we just want to see this one thing, the magnificent mercy of God come alive in Luke chapter 2. We, we pick up here in verse 8. The Bible says, in, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, will, they were filled with fear. Now, again, last week we said that with the birth of Christ, we were, we were provided the greatest picture and example of humility based on the fact that Jesus chose not to come in fame, but yet come in in relative anonymity. Now, that does not mean that his coming uh, was unseen or unnoticed. In fact, it couldn't be. This event of the coming of Jesus Christ would change the history of the world. It was the greatest event in human history. This was the Savior coming in the world to save sinners. So somebody had to be a witness to his coming, Somebody had to make sense and understand the significance of it and be willing to be able to tell other people. Now, with that in mind, who do you think that God would choose for such a role? Well, the Bible tells us that it was an unlikely group of shepherds. Now, scholars have done their best to try to explain and give a lot of different reasons of why God chose these shepherds to be the ones to first hear about the coming of Christ and see the Christ child and and, and go and declare it to other people. And they've come up with different reasons. Some of the reasons has to do with uh, with, uh, Jesus' relationship with David. David, obviously being a shepherd, therefore it would make sense that those 
those who would first see and welcome the Christ child would also be shepherds. Uh, Some say that it has more to do rather with the fulfillment of prophecy. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 33 uh, actually speaks of and prophesies of the coming and the birth of the Christ child. And then he says in reference in a couple of verses before it within the same context that there were shepherds who were there. And so I think both of these are good reasons or good explanations of why shepherds, but I think there's more to it than that. Uh, I think that when we look at this story, everything surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ is frankly just unexpected. Uh, it, it certainly was unexpected the way that he came. I, 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 I've already said that. Um, instead of him coming really in, in power and in fame, he comes in poverty and anonymity. And so the way that he comes is unexpected. The people were expecting a a completely different arrival of the Messiah. Uh, But it wasn't only unexpected the way that he came, but it was also unexpected who he came to and who he came for. And, And so the people during the first century, the Jewish people believed that when the Messiah came, not only would he come in power, but he would come for those who were good, those who were righteous, those who were good were the Jewish people who were following God's law, that were trying to obey him in every way, and that, that though he would come to deliver them from, from those who were bad being the, the Roman government, the oppressive Roman government. But, but this, and so when he comes, when God sends an angel to, to announce the coming of his Messiah, it is shocking that he comes to this group of all people, the shepherds. Why? Because they don't fall in, in any of the good categories. They were not good. They were not righteous. Now, this is hard for you and I to understand because many of us have this kind of romanticized view of shepherds. And the reason for that is because a lot of our biblical heroes like Abraham and Moses and, and David, uh, they were all shepherds. Jesus Christ is known to be the good shepherd. But actual shepherds during the day were not viewed as good in any way, shape, or form. In fact, they were viewed as, as really the, uh, the dregs of society, which just simply means that society viewed them as being immoral and having absolutely no value within their culture at all. Uh, they were known to be thieves. They were known to be liars. In fact, uh, their testimony wasn't even accepted in a court of law because it was said that if a shepherd was speaking, you knew then that he was ultimately lying. And not only that, but they were viewed as being unclean because they were always out amongst the animals. They weren't able to be able to follow the ceremonial laws. And so therefore they were ceremonially unclean and people wanted them to stay at a distance. They were social outcasts, unclean uh, in the eyes of God. And so one particular author, uh, Philip Ryken, actually says that these men were despised. He says, with the exception of lepers, they were the lowest class of men in Israel. So it's hard to believe. It would have been hard for the people to believe at the time. And even for us, uh, we always think that Jesus has come for good people. You need to clean up your act. And if you clean up your act good enough, then God will ultimately accept you. This was the view of the Jews during the very first century. So with that in mind and understanding who shepherds are, this seems to be very unlikely that Jesus would first come to them with this particular news. But yet, it's only surprising if we do not know the heart of God. When Jesus comes himself, 
The people just, they they can't get their minds around. Why is Jesus spending so many time with sinners? Why is he going, spending time with, in ministering to prostitutes and ministering uh, to drunkards and ministering to these tax collectors? The worst of the worst, why would he do it? Jesus explains why he did it. In Mark chapter two and verse 17, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And then even three chapters uh, away from the one that we're in right now in Luke chapter two, in Luke chapter five, verse 32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So why does Jesus come to the undeserving? Why does Jesus come uh, to, the, uh, to, to uh, those that, 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 that are not right, are not ultimately good? Why send a messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ to people like them? Simply this, because God is a God of mercy. He comes to sinful people to seek not to give them what they deserve at all. In fact, he refuses to give them what they deserve. That's the mercy of God. You know, when this whole COVID-19 thing broke out, one of the disappointments was really how everything, all these events begin to become canceled. We were very disappointed about so much of it. I know my son's junior year of, of, of track and field, it was canceled. He was disappointed. A lot of movies and new premieres that were supposed to come out uh, this summer uh, were canceled. Uh, Pastor Dan was very disappointed about that. Many of us were disappointed because a lot of our college sports and our pro sports, they too were ultimately canceled. My wife cruise was canceled. She was very, very disappointed about that for sure. And so a lot of different disappointments because so many events are being canceled. But the longer this goes on, what's begin to happen is we've seen that it's not only events that are being canceled, but now people themselves are beginning to be canceled altogether. We now live in what some people are calling the cancel culture. See, it used to be this way. It used to be if you disagreed with somebody, oftentimes you'd get together with them and you would talk it out. You would enter into argumentation, debate. You would explain why you believe your point was right. You try to bring all your evidence. They would do the same exact thing. You'd go back and forth. On a very few occasions, you might convince the other person that you are right. Most of the time, people would just ultimately have to agree to disagree and go their ways. But it was usually pretty cordial. Not always. Some people, it would be a heated debate. People would be angry with each other. They wouldn't want anything to do with each other. But here's what we pretty much enjoyed the whole time is that people just recognized that people had different points of view, that they saw things differently, but no longer. There seemed to be a tolerance there, but that tolerance is not here anymore. In fact, we have a part of our culture, this, this, this um, cancel culture uh, that basically says, if you don't believe the way that they do, if you don't hold to the truths and the insights that they do, and if you do something or say something that's in opposition to them, then you yourself need to be canceled. And, and the way that they do this is they, they do it by trying to silence the individual they disagree with, They'll, they'll, they'll boycott a company that they disagree with. Uh, they'll do verbal attacks. They'll, they'll try to get people fired from their jobs. They will try to shame them out of their very existence. An example of this recently was with a young college student who had been accepted to Harvard, pretty big deal. 
And uh, then just a couple of weeks later, he received kind of a, a letter uh, from, from Harvard saying that they were rescinding that, that acceptance uh, of this young man. And, and he was very confused why. And they said that they had stumbled upon some of his posts on Twitter that he had tweeted out when he was 16 years of age. And the young man tried to explain that he was foolish and he was stupid and he wasn't the same guy uh, that he was back then. And, and, and he was really actually truly repentive of the things that he had said and the things that he did that were clearly wrong. In fact, he wrote back saying, I see the world through different eyes and am embarrassed by the petty flippant kid represented in those screenshots. Well, this wasn't enough for Harvard's admissions committee. And so they voted to keep him out. They chose to cancel him because of something that he said and he ultimately did. But this was only a part of it. There was a Twitter storm of people just talking and attacking this young man. And one of them specifically captured really what all of them were trying to say. One person said, I'm about to end this man's whole career. That's the cancel culture. And, and here's what's crazy about this. It's not even about what you did now or what you said now, but, but it could be something that you said almost a lifetime ago, a decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago, something that when you were a teenager and now you're a senior adult, people can dig stuff up on you about what you said at one time. And because you said something or did something that now they disagree with you on, they think your whole existence needs to be canceled, that you are unworthy of literally existing. Uh, this is kind of demonstrated recently in, in James Gunn. James Gunn is a Hollywood producer who produced uh, the movies, The Guardians of the Galaxy. He actually had produced two of them. They had hired him to produce the third movie as well. Now, this is good news for me because I love those movies and I love him as a director. And, uh, and one of the things was, is all of a sudden he was fired by Disney because there were enough of this cancel culture who came up and had dug some stuff up that he had done more than a decade ago and everything that he said and did was wrong. But since that time, he was repentive. He was speaking to people. And even before there was pressure of him losing a job, he had recognized that he was wrong. And he would go from place to place telling everyone, hey, this is something I said. This is something I did. I'm not, I'm not happy with it. I'm ashamed of it. In fact, this is why I think completely different now. But yet, even though he was that re sincerely repented of it, all these years later, people begin to stir things up. They want him out and Disney ends up firing him from being the director of that third movie. Now, good news for him because the actors refused to act unless he was hired back. And if they didn't have the actors acting, then they weren't going to be able to get their money. And it wasn't, they ended up accepting him back. See, it wasn't because he was truly repentive. It was because they were gonna lose out on a lot of money that they decided to come in back. If it was you and I, let me tell you something, they would have canceled this all together. This is the culture in which we live. I love this quote by a man by the name of Abdu Murray, who's a senior vice president of Ravi, Ravi Zacharias's International Ministries. He says this, in cancel culture, a single mistake, and as we've seen, even a mistake that was made decades ago before, is, is um, perpetually unforgiven because it's not simply a guilty act. Rather, the mistake defines the individual's identity, turning them into a shameful person, someone who can now be canceled. As a Christian, you should clearly see the problem with this whole cancel culture. It should be clear to us. The reason is, the problem is, there's no mercy for sinners at all. This is a law-based, works-based religion 
that gives absolutely no hope at all of forgiveness, no matter how repentant you might be. One single wrong word, one single wrong deed, and you can ultimately be written off. And by the way, there is no possibility of reconciliation or restoration. If you mess up, if you mess up according to their standards, you are done. But do you see the difference between the secular world and way they're treating people today and the way that God treats sinners? Specifically in this particular picture of of God coming and and sending this angel of this good news to these particular shepherds. These shepherds in their day were cultural outcasts, uh, certainly cancel worthy by the standards of the people of the day. And and if this chapter uh, took on the same belief system as our culture today, uh, where God was coming to cancel out these shepherds, these sinful men, then this would be one of the darkest, ugliest, hopeless chapters in all of the Bible, but fortunately it's not. That God instead is a God of grace. And so he doesn't bring what they deserve. Instead, he brings this angel to them to let them know that the one who is going to come, the Messiah who is going to come, isn't going to cancel out the sinner, but he's come to cancel out the sin and the consequences of those sins. This is good news. Now notice how this comes about. Notice what happens here, what he actually says. Uh, Listen to the words of the angel in verse 10. He says, and the angel said to them, fear not. You notice that, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, This isn't the first time we've seen an angel appear to people in the book of Luke. We've seen it several times. And this isn't the first time that we've seen those individuals respond in fear at the appearing of the angel. Why? Once again, because the angels reflect the very glory of God. And there's nothing more frightening, nothing more fearful at all for any of us than for sinful man to be in the presence of a holy God. Because when we are in the presence of a holy God, we understand our shame, we understand our guilt, and we understand that we are deserving of the judgment of God. So that's why they fear. But the angel very quickly reassures them. He says with incredibly gracious, uh, just incredibly merciful words, he says, fear not. I'm not here. In other words, I'm not here to give you what you ultimately deserve. And so what he says is, it says in verse 11, instead of giving them this bad news of judgment, what does he do? He gives them the good news of hope. Look at verse 11. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day. There's something very personal uh, uh, about all of this. He goes, instead of receiving judgment, you're gonna receive a baby, all right? Now, this seems a little bit awkward. In fact, one author points out that this is usually not the case with the birth of a child. Usually with the birth of a child, that child is the sole gift to the mother and the father, but not this child. This child is a gift to many, many more, including these shepherds. So this is very personal. He says, unto you, a child is born. Uh, this is like at Christmas time when underneath the tree, we have these Christmas gifts and it says to 
blank, from blank. This is though the angel is coming to them and he's putting a tag uh, 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 on, the, uh, uh, on the manger uh, there and uh, on the manger and it says, to the shepherds from God. And when we hear this story, I think this is what we should do. We should be asking the question, who gives such a precious gift like this to lying, thieving, judgment-deserving, rejected outcasts? And the answer of the text is a merciful God. That's who does it. That's who extends this kind of mercy to unworthy sinners. And this is no ordinary baby, by the way. This is the Savior Christ and Lord. The Savior is, is, is a deliverer who rescues his people. And in this case, he comes to rescue his people from what? From sin and death, the consequences of sin. And he's not only the Savior, he's also the Christ. The Christ is the Greek term for Messiah. The Messiah was the promised one or the anointed one that the Jewish people kept looking for for centuries. Well, guess what? This is him. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And not only that, that he is the Lord, which means that he is more than just a man. He is also deity. He himself is God in the flesh. There has never been such an extravagant gift given to more undeserving recipients than this. But here's the good news of what's being taught by this angel is that it wasn't just given to the shepherds alone, but for all the people. Now, before we begin to think and interpret that, that that means all people all over the world, that's not what Luke has in mind. Luke has in mind instead, when he says all the people, he's talking about all the Jewish people. That's how he uses that phrase uh, in context throughout the book. All the people refers to the Jewish people. But what we understand is it's not just for the Jewish people either, because by the, end, the, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, now the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to the Gentile world as well. Here's what he's trying to do. Yes, he's died for the whole world. Yes, his good news is for all the world, but there is a personal aspect of it, that no matter where you fall, whether the outcast that the world has rejected, whether you are of the religious group or whether you are, that wor- or you are of the world at all, whoever you are, this is a gift given by the mercy of God to us. That's the point of the text. Now look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know, I think it's interesting that not only that God sends his son, but he also sends an angel to announce it to them, but he does even more. He also gives them the direction on how to find this child. See, if the child had come and he had even announced his coming, but yet there was no direction on how to actually find the child, then they may have missed it altogether. But instead, he tells them, this is where you need to go and find them. And they did. In verses 5 through 20, we read that they actually went. They, they heard this good news, and they went to find out for themselves. And they were looking for a baby of baby, and they found the baby exactly as it was described. They found him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And notice the response. They came to faith. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. We see mercy all the way through this story. We see it with the fact that there was a group of undeserving shepherds in a field and God by his mercy chose to come to them, not in judgment, but in mercy to announce the merciful act of Jesus coming hear the Savior coming to this world and that he was for them. It's saturated in mercy. 
So what does this mean for us? Let me just give you two points of application this morning that I, that I, that I wanna make. First of all, this mercy, mercy should make us rejoice. It should make us rejoice. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among, uh, among those with whom he is pleased. Now up to this point, here's how it happens. The shepherds are there, an angel appears. It's one angel, it's these shepherds. He tells them the good news of Jesus Christ, right? This is an act of mercy, not an act of judgment. But once he delivers it and, and he's immediately done, what happens? All those angels that were kind of hiding in the dark, that's what angels do. They're kind of working behind the scene for the most part unseen, except for on a very unusual occasion. They're around doing their thing. But when they hear this message, it's so glorious. They have to come out from the darkness. They have to show themselves and they come and they begin to sing. They begin to say this chorus together of praise towards God. They can't help themselves. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men, those with whom he is pleased. So this act of mercy, this, 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 this uh, news of mercy, they can't, the angels cannot help but to, to begin to rejoice about it. And here's the crazy thing. They rejoice about something that they don't even understand fully because they were never the benefactors of this good news. There's no angels that are redeemed. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, it says these things, these are things, meaning the things of salvation are things into which angels long to look. In other words, they just peer into it, not really fully understanding it, but they are in awe of the idea that God had sent his son as an act of mercy to his people and did not bring judgment. They just can't get their minds around it, but it leads them to rejoice and expression of, of, of praise to God. If that's how they respond to it and they've never experienced it, how much should you and I be rejoicing for the mercy of God? I thank God he hasn't canceled me. I praise God. He's had millions of opportunities to cancel me out because of things that I've said, things that I've done, things that I've thought to just do away with me. And he would have been right to be able to do so. But in each and every act, he has chosen to show me mercy upon mercy and upon mercy. That is good news. That is something that I just, my heart wants to uh, rejoice about. The good news that he came not to cancel me out, but to cancel my sin and the consequence of my sin. That is worth rejoicing about. Will you rejoice in the same thing with me? So there is a rejoicing. But number two, we should also extend not only rejoice, but extend. That is, if we've received this type of mercy, not getting what we deserve, then certainly you and I should be extending that mercy. One of the greatest qualities of, the, of a believer in Jesus Christ should not only be humility, but should also be mercy that we show to those who are around us. And right now, in the midst of all this, I think we need some mercy to show one another. We need to show it within our homes. A lot of times, uh, we've been probably spending more time with our families at home than ever before. And, and there's probably people in the family that are getting a little bit on our nerves from time to time. And what do we need to do? Instead of getting angry and, and barking back. Now, they may be fully deserving, okay, of us coming right back at them and taking and speaking words, the same words of anger right back at them. 
however, they may be deserving of it. But what are we to do? We are to be merciful, not giving them what they ultimately deserve. Not only in our family, but in our church with one another. I've been seeing folks, they even, I don't even watch Facebook and everything else, but I get enough word from everybody else that you'll see even some of our own people go back and forth a little bit with such completely different ideas. And I would not say, and I would not use the term mercy to describe all of that speech to one another. I'm not saying not to be able to speak the truth. What I'm saying is that there is a merciful way to do it without trying to attack individuals. And I think that's certainly true, not only for uh, our own family and our own faith family, but I think it also applies for a sinful world and which, is, which is incredibly more hostile day after day after day. We feel the heat and please let me, let me be aware that there is no doubt that a sinful world wants to cancel Christianity, wants to cancel you and I as witnesses. But remember, that's primarily because there is somebody behind all of this and that is our ultimate enemy who is Satan. And he wants to cancel the Christian faith and he wants to cancel Christians altogether because he ultimately hates God. And all of this is happening right before our eyes. And a lot of us feel the heat more than ever before. And many are asking a lot of questions, asking me a lot of questions like, what do we do? How, how do we combat this? How and when do we speak up? How do we fight back? When do we, fee- when do we fight back? When do we take a stand? And those are all wonderful questions. And and let me say this, I don't know the answer to every single one of those. I just know this, that by being led by the word, being led by the Holy Spirit, that he's gonna let us know exactly what to do, when we need to do it, when when, uh, various difficulties arise. But, But let me say this, in a large part, he's already told us what to do and what not to do. One is we are to no matter what, be people of mercy. We are, we are not to be getting in someone's face and chewing them out because our rights or, or have been infringed or we ourselves have ultimately be offended. If we don't show mercy, church, how in the world is a lost world gonna understand anything about the mercy of God, especially if his children are not bathed in it and demonstrating it? It's an essential part of our witness. Uh, we, we, we do fight, we do stand. And the, the Bible has already told us how to go about doing this, but what we fight with is the sword. That is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that we fight is the way that we extend mercy to the culture, a sinful culture that even wants to erase you is by extending mercy in the same way that the angel extended mercies to the shepherds, and that is not give them what they deserve, but rather to extend to them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I can't think of how refreshing this has got to be for people today. Look, it's not just believers that feel like they're walking on pins and needles about everything they say and that they do. It's the whole world that feels like it. It's called, the whole world is now virtue, uh, a virtue signaling. You've probably seen this. It's like whenever a hot topic comes up, 
and every pe- people get fired up about whatever issue it is, all of a sudden they begin to virtual, vir- virtue signal. That's why you get all of these uh, emails from shoe companies that are telling you what they're for and what they're against. And you're like, bro, you sell shoes. Why are you making such a, such a big political statement? They're doing that because they're trying to defend themselves and make sure that people don't boycott their business. They need to make sure that, hey, yeah, we agree with everything everybody else is saying. It's virtue signaling. So everybody's on edge that they're going to ultimately be canceled. And I can't help but to think how comforting it is as Christians who have been shown such mercy to be able to show mercy to those and let them know about the mercy of God that Jesus Christ did not come to cancel them. Because so many of them, that's been their thought of Christianity. But that's not what the word of God teaches. When we look at John, we know John 3.16, but we need to keep reading after that. And picking up in John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's mercy. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. When I'm sharing my faith with other people, I try to be as merciful as I possibly can to let them know that the gospel is a message of mercy. And, and, and you say, well, why? Because in their minds, they think the only reason that Jesus is here and the only reason Christians are here is to condemn us in our sin. We have to remind a lost and dying world that we are not condemning them. They, like us, before we came to faith in Christ, were already condemned because of our sin and because of our rejection of the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, he's not coming primarily to, primarily to condemn, but to show mercy and not to give us what we believe, but to extend even greater grace to give us what we do not ultimately deserve. He said, but isn't Jesus Christ going to ultimately, ultimately judge the world? Yes, but when all time is run out, when time and opportunity has been given time and time again, God being patient, so patient to allow everybody to hear the gospel, for people to hear the gospel and people to be able to repent, this is his mercy. And so we need to be people not only showing it, but people who are preaching it every single day. Look, there's so many people who are so worried about all that's going on, and I get it. I'd be lying if there weren't parts of me that I wake up at night or I begin to think to myself, oh, this is bad and this is not good. How is this going to affect us as Christians? And how is this going to affect? Because even in other states already, certain rights, inalienable rights that are given to us by God, our creator, are being taken away. We understand that. And so it all fears. But let me ask you this. Why are you so upset? Are you more upset right now because some of your rights will be taken away that's gonna cause your life to be more difficult? Or does it upset you more that there are people who if they die, they are going to die and spend eternity in hell? I think that there are more Christians right now scared that they are going to lose temporal rights in this world than they are that there is a lost world that will be separated from God for all eternity. And that is a problem and is the very opposite of mercy. 
And so what I want to call you to is you have received freely the mercy of God. Let you and I extend the mercy of God. As the difficulties and pressures of this world and the culture are coming on and the cancellation of Christianity is is getting heavier and heavier, we need wisdom to work through all those. But let's do what we already know to do. And that is be merciful by sharing the gospel of mercy to those who need it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. God, as we're working through this, we need to probe our hearts. God, what is it that we're really most worried about? Are we, if we're mostly worried about how this culture is gonna impact our own blessed lives rather than really being concerned and to mourn for the lost among us, Our discomfort will be temporal. Their terror will be eternal. God, help us to have your perspective. Your son, Jesus Christ, for a period of time, suffered for the good of other people. God, may we be willing and be as merciful as well. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen. I cannot stand preaching to this camera. So next week, I'm really excited that we're gonna be able to come together and we're gonna be able to, to, to uh, worship together. Now, I know not everybody's comfortable to do that. That's okay. Do what you think is best for you and for your family. But if you can make it and, and you're just craving to get back together again as the church comes back together, I'm just gonna encourage you to do and I can't wait to see you. Love you so much. We'll talk to you later.